is new Falcons offensive coordinator Zach Robinson the next McVay disciple to take the NFL by storm? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code in all low, lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. And guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for far too long, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, formerly covered the draft at the Huddle Report. I think that's still kicking uh but you may also know me as Sirius black aka mr drew aka mr aka and we appreciate each and every one of you that makes this very humble podcast and illustrious podcast your first listen your first watch of the day and all you got to do to become an everyday or subscribe or follow for free on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episode as soon as it is available so today's episode we will be reviewing the falcons offensive line talking a little bit about pro football focus grades and why they seem to differ with my assessment that the Falcons offensive line play and run blocking took a major step back this year, which was a big reason for their disappointing 2023. We'll talk about some potential future changes to the offensive line. But first, we'll we'll talk about two additions to the Raheem Morris coaching staff. And you'll you'll notice, uh, you know, the sidebar changes a little bit because uh, initially I recorded this episode early Saturday because I knew I was going to be traveling Sunday down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and thought, okay, let's preview some Senior Bowl prospects and talk about Marquise Williams being retained, which is what we'll talk about in a second. But then later Saturday, the Falcons hired Zach Robinson as a new offensive coordinator. It's like, that's probably a little bit more important than talking about, you know, some Senior Bowl guys. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Senior Bowl stuff later uh, in the week. But, um, you know, we have two additions to the Raheem Morris coaching staff so far. Zach Robinson as their offensive coordinator. Marquise Williams will be back as the special teams coordinator. With Williams, you know, uh, we he was one of the guys on at least my shortlist, and I'm sure a lot of other people's shortlist that you wanted to see retained. We've talked before about if you look back at the last three head coaching changes for the Atlanta Falcons, on average, about four coaches get retained from the previous staff. Um, and so, you know, Williams is one. We'll see if there's any more. If I was listing out my top three, uh, that I would like a Dwayne Ledford, the offensive line coach, in, in large part due to his work he did in 2022 with that offensive line. Frank Bush, the linebackers coach, in large part due to the work he did with Nate Landman this past year. And Steve Jackson, the, the secondary coach, who, according to reports that came out this summer, was working primarily with the corners while Jerry Gray was working with the safeties. And I just feel like the the corner group with Akuda and, and Phillips and some of the things in Alford was a little bit of a better coached unit than the safety group. Although, you know, Jesse Bates, uh, you know, makes coaching pretty easy. So that's why I tend to prefer Steve Jackson over say Jerry Gray, but uh, we'll, we'll see what's what with those. Uh, if we get any more retentions, but let's talk obviously about the big addition, which is Zach Robinson. And he's going to be the offensive coordinator, the play caller. And we know that this hire is very important for Raheem Morris because despite his history of coaching on both sides of the ball, like he's not going to call offensive plays. And so that kind of sets the tone for, you know, what is going to be the big question for the next, you know, several weeks uh, this offseason, several months this offseason is what do the Falcons do at the quarterback position? 
you know, Robinson doesn't necessarily give us any insight into that, but we'll speculate, I'm sure, over that period of time and a little bit today. But the thing that you like about Robinson is he's considered an up-and-comer. He's kind of the next guy in the McVay uh, disciple tree, right? Um, we've seen several of those guys, you know, that haven't called plays in LA because Sean McVay does that. But, you know, several of those guys like Matt LaFleur and Zach Taylor and Kevin O'Connell go on to be very successful NFL head coaches. We've seen some of those guys go on to be semi-successful offensive coordinators like Shane Waldron and Thomas Brown. We've seen some of those guys go to the college ranks like Liam Cohen and be a very successful OC for Kentucky. Jed Fish is successful head coach for Arizona and now the head coach of Washington. Um, you know, it's an illustrious group, right? And we hope that Zach Robinson can be equally or more illustrious than some of those guys. He was a hot candidate this uh, coaching cycle, interviewing for a lot of OC vacancies like the Steelers, the Bears, Patriots, Saints, uh, Raiders. But it's been reported by many that he was him and Morris were kind of attached at the hip. Morris was telling teams that he was interviewing with that Robinson will be my OC. And Robinson was basically waiting to see if Morris got a job and would take that opportunity as he has done so far here in Atlanta. Now the Falcons did interview another candidate for their OC job. And that is, I think based primarily off the Rooney rule obligations, you got to interview at least one minority candidate uh, for that job. And that was LSU wide receiver coach Cortez Hankton. Um, and, you know, even though Hankton won't be the OC, maybe he joins the staff in another capacity like wide receivers coach. And that would be music to my ears because, you know, when I was going through my whole Corey Davis thing last off season, like I was secretly pining, like Corey Davis was the answer at the Falcons wide receiver position in 2023 that I thought the Falcons should go. But to me, the long-term answer was waiting to 2024 to get Malik neighbors who Cortez Hankton coached at LSU. And I'm also a big fan of Brian Thomas, the other wide receiver at LSU. So we'll, we'll see what's what on that. I know this is fueling speculation about Jaden Daniels as well, but we'll see on that. But if we're getting into Robinson specifically background, you know, we obviously don't know really much of anything from his play calling tendencies, but we know probably coming from that Rams tree, he's probably going to emphasize the wide receiver position a little bit more than the tight end position, at least compared to our previous uh, play caller. Um, you know, he originally was a seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State back in the 2010 draft by the New England Patriots. And it's funny to note that along with Kevin O'Connell and Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Robinson is the next in line of uh, former Patriots quarterbacks that were drafted that have gone on to become play callers in the NFL. Um, and so that bodes particularly well, I guess, if, if you're Bailey Zappi or Danny Etling, uh, if you decide to get into coaching in the future. But um, after bouncing around the league for a couple of years and then probably stuck the longest in Cincinnati. It's a backup to Andy Dalton early in his career. Uh, he went to work for PFF. And from what I understand, he kind of was the guy that did sort of most of the final checks on the quarterback grades for several years. Uh, then he uh, did some work with Mason Rudolph, who was another Oklahoma state alum in his pre-draft workouts uh, in the 2018 draft. And then shortly thereafter, I guess, got that coaching itch and, and joined the Rams coaching staff and assistant quarterback coach under Waltron in 2019 and slowly has worked his way up to, I think, past game coordinator and quarterback coach this past year. Um, you know, from Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams from the athletic, he was basically in charge of the quote unquote reclamation projects or rehab projects of uh, Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz the last couple of years and did obviously excellent work a, a year ago, getting Baker Mayfield up to speed on that offense in like a day. Uh, and then obviously had a little bit more time with Wentz this past year, but both of those guys did perform really reasonably well, relatively well um, in their short times with the Rams. Other little tidbits I've learned about Robinson listening to his former PFF colleague, Steve Palazzolo on a recent radio 
interview he did uh, with Pittsburgh uh, talking about what he might be as a play caller with the Steelers uh, is it's notable to me that he was Robinson. That is not Steve, uh, a big fan of Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 pre-draft cycle. And that seems like a nothing statement today because we know how great Patrick Mahomes is and he's probably going to go down, I you know, as the greatest quarterback ever. But like at the time, like, that wasn't the prevailing opinion. He was a very polarizing prospect. So the idea that, you know, he had the vision for Patrick Mahomes is to me very notable uh, in that regard, because that was not necessarily a popular take at the time uh, back in 2017. So, um, you know, that bodes well for, you know, the quarterback evaluation if, if Robinson had that figured out. So we'll see what's what on that. Um, but, I, you know, I think the last thoughts I'll say is similar to kind of the Ryan Nielsen hire last year. I know some people were a little bit more skeptical of Ryan Nielsen because he didn't have that play calling experience. Um, but he was like Robinson was considered an up a comer by a lot of folks. And I didn't share that skepticism because, you know, to me on defense, it's less about your scheme and play calling and it's more about the talent. And so I was more invested in the free agent players. Um, although, again, Ryan Nielsen did a heck of a job. Um and it's a similar thing to me with Robinson, although I don't think, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say scheme and play calling don't matter on offense. I think it, it definitely matters on offense. But at the same time, I'm like, yes, Robinson, up and comer. We'll see what he does. There's reasons to be optimistic based off of the buzz um, and in in the track record of McVay disciples. Um, and also we, we need to kind of see what the Falcons do at quarterback and what they do at wide receiver and, you know, what other changes. So it's, it's kind of a wait and see mode, but I think there's every reason for people to be, uh, optimistic that Robinson, you know, is going to be that guy. And then we'll see what other hires Raheem makes, because, you know, if Robinson is a hit, then there's a good chance that he'll get, you know, some head coaching offers in the future. And, my stance is like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That's a kind of a good problem to have because it probably means that the Falcons offense was very good and they probably hit on a quarterback. So, you know, I'll take that, right? You know, it's not ideal, but I'll take that at this point in time. Um, you know, that's a that's that to me is a good outcome, even if it isn't the best outcome, right? The most favorable outcome for the Falcons, which is, you know, Robinson is a hit and we keep him for a decade. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what's what on that. Uh, so, um, that will do it for our coaching talk. We'll go from a former PFF employee to talk a little bit about why the PFF grades, you know, seem to love the Falcons so much in terms of the run blocking. And it kind of conflicts with, uh, the narrative, the truth, the reality, uh, that the Falcons offensive line took a major step back and we'll get into that as we review the Falcons offensive line coming up on today's locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And their specials league is where is that, right? You can do combination protections where you can pick two or more players from different sports, different leagues, NBA, college basketball, NHL, NFL. We only got a couple of more, you know, weeks of NFL where you can throw in these combo projections, whether it's, you know, Travis Kelsey receptions or Patrick Mahomes touchdowns or whatever. You know, and if you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250. Who wouldn't want that? Right. Prize picks is simple to play. Just pick two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats. The more entries you make, the more money you can make up to 25 times your money. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of player and staff types, as well as the fact that you're going against the projections. You're not going against anybody else. So it's just you versus projections. That's why prize picks is the number one daily fantasy sports act. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code in lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Promo code locked on NFL. Price picks is daily fantasy sports made easy.
So before we continue the offensive line breakdown, I want to plug the Locked On Sports Today 24-7 YouTube streaming channel, the first of its kind here on this wonderful platform named as YouTube. Uh, and, you know, you're getting the biggest stories on all the sports across the world. And if you're looking for more local flavor, check out Locked On Sports Atlanta's 24-7 YouTube streaming channel so you can get the latest updates on the Hawks and l- what Luca did to them. Oh, goodness. Um you know, the Bulldogs, you know, how, how do they replace a superstar like Ladd McConkey? Can Carson Beck sort of carry the load? All that sort of stuff. All unlocked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. So, um, you know, we've been talking for weeks, months, if you want to say, that a big part of the Falcons' struggles this year had to do with the regression from the run game, right? So much of the narrative is, oh, Arthur Smith got fired because he made a terrible bet on Desmond Ritter being a good quarterback. And to me, the real narrative is, the truth of the matter is, that the Falcons made a bet that the run game was going to carry their offense, which led to them being more willing to bet on a player like Desmond Ritter, which ultimately didn't come true. Obviously, the run game didn't carry. Desmond Ritter didn't come true. And you look at metrics like expected points added uh, in terms of the Falcons rushing game. Basically, they're telling you that the Falcons had a top five run game last year, and this year they had a bottom five run game. Uh, you look at success rate, right? Uh, sort of more efficiency metric. And this year's run game, you know, uh, was more comparable to the Dirk Cutter era Falcons in 2019 and 2020 in terms of their efficiency running the ball than last year's run game, which was, you know, dominant. Uh, and so, you know, there's been a lot of reasons uh, for why the Falcons took a step back. A lot of people point to predictable play calling, you know, again, always play calling uh, when it comes to Falcon fans and what's at issue, you know, defense is gearing up for it. But for me, I, I just look at it and I just watch the film and I think it was a big step back for the blocking. It was a lot more inconsistent this year. Uh, and that seems obvious when you watch the film, but obviously you look at the PFF grades and a lot of people say, well, the PFF is showing that the their Falcons running game was, you know, still one of the best in the league. So, you know, Aaron, I'm not, you know, I don't believe you or whatever, you know, but, you know, I think PFF had the Falcons offensive line in their final year in rankings. They consistently were putting them week to week because they published those week to week, their offensive line rankings in the top 10. Um, And I think they finished like fourth um, in their final rankings. Um, And you had three of the Falcons, five starters finish in the 85th percentile in terms of PFF run blocking grades at their respective positions. Caleb McGarry was 85th. uh, Chris Lindstrom was 95th. uh, Drew Dahlman was 92nd. Right. And, you know, those are really high grades compared to what they had last year. And so, of course, you know, you sit there and say, like, the grades are roughly the same. How can you sit there and say they regressed all that much? But one of the things we talked about in the Discord over the past week was that we, we kind of figured out, you know, and we don't have that much insight, but just sort of, you know, doing a little bit of homework. It does feel like PFF's grading system is kind of biased towards good zone blocking. Um, and, you know, if you look at who are the highest graded run blockers in their system, um, it tends to veer heavily towards players and uh, that grade out really well in their zone because they kind of separate zone versus gap um, that grade out really highly in zone and then also play a lot of zone blocking versus gap blocking. Right. Um, and I think part of that is due to PFF's sort of system, which is, you know, they're going to grade out a reach block much higher than a quote unquote normal block in a gap system, right? And the reach blocks are staples of the outside zone scheme that the Falcons run. And for those of you unfamiliar with a reach block is like, for example, you look at Drew Dahlman trying to reach a three technique where Chris Lynchham's going to be lined up to his right, um, you know, left probably on your screen, but to his right. And the three tech is going to line up over Chris Lynchham's outside shoulder. And so a reach block is basically, he's going to have to try to wrap around that three tech that's, you know, potentially, three or four yards away from him 
Uh, and that takes an incredible amount of athleticism. And that's part of the reason why uh, it's extremely hard block to execute. And that's part of the reason why PFF deservedly, understandably, gives you maybe a little bit of a bump if you can successfully execute those. And that's part of the reason why Dahlman scores so well. You go back to 2021, Matt Hennessy, I think, was top three in terms of run blocking in the league that year uh, as well. And so, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm not sure their system always meshes up from a grade standpoint with what we're seeing from a subjective standpoint from watching the film. And I don't think it's because PFF system is flawed. I think it's basically a byproduct of what you have to do to standardize how you grade things, right? Because you have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of employees that come in and out of that building that need to be able to grade and you need a reliable system. I used to work in research and and data uh, before, you know, the pandemic hit uh, and that job went away. But, um, you know, one of the things when you go out into the field and collect data for those research projects, and basically that's what PFF is, the football equivalent of that, you need to standardize it so that you can, you know, send out anybody out there and trust the data that you're getting back. So, you know, I think that's the issue, right? Um, and, you know, we have the benefit of, like, we don't have to come up with a system at PFF. We can be as subjective as one. And I think you've heard a lot of the pushback in recent weeks from NFL players on social media, you know, talking about how the PFF grading system doesn't work and whatnot, because coaches and players and, and people like yourself and me, we can be subjective and like, we don't have to base our stuff off of that. So it's not to sit here and say PFF's grades are wrong. It just, I think it does kind of inflate things a little bit, but talking about the five players for the Atlanta Falcons, you know, quickly, Jake Matthews, I think, still remains a reliable pass protector. He had a couple of rough games this year, but Jake always has a couple of games. It's the same thing with Matt Ryan, right? Where, you know, there's like three or four games every year. Matt Ryan has a bad game. And you're like, oh, what's going on with Matt? But then he's fine, locked down. You're not worried about him the rest of the season. It's the same thing with Jake. Like, you know, maybe that number instead of uh, three or four bad games, maybe it was four or five or five or six this year compared to maybe previous years. So, you know, some people might read into that regression. I, I don't necessarily see that again. That's the slowest regression in the world, right? It's he's regressing and declining at a snail's pace at this point in time. So he, he's doing a great job still in pass protection, still a very reliable player there. But I think he did take a step back after making a major step forward last year in run blocking. He took a step back this year. Um, and I think that was a contributing factor to why the run game, especially running to the left was not as effective. Jared, um, uh, Matthew Bergeron, the left guard, I thought was very underwhelming throughout the season as a run blocker, basically outside of that Saints game, really to me was not an impactful player in that his pass protection was fine relative to a rookie. I think when he faced the premier D tackles like Jeffrey Simmons and, and Kenny Clark, those guys gave him a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, you could see slow progress over the course of the season. And basically when he's not facing one of the 10 to 12 best D tackles in the league, you know, he he did his job for the most part. So, you know, I still think Bergeron has a future ahead of him. But for my taste, again, my subjective opinion, I thought his rookie season was a little more underwhelming than I would have hoped. Right. I think I set his floor at Elijah Wilkinson. Um, in terms of what I thought he could be coming into the league. And I think he kind of barely reached Elijah Wilkinson level uh, based off his performance this past year. Uh, so that was a little disappointing. But um, Drew Dahlman, I think Drew Dahlman probably of this group did the least amount of regression. I think he was basically the same player he's he was last year, maybe slightly better uh, in, in certain ways. I think the biggest concern with Drew Dahlman is, yeah, he's, he's a smaller guy. So size is always going to be an issue for him. Uh, and the snapping, right? Like it, it, it's been snapping has been, I don't know if it's Drew Dahlman's fault. I don't know if it's the quarterback's fault, but snapping has been a consistent problem in the last two years when it hadn't been for most of the previous years outside of the Mike person year back in 2015. And so like, you know, I'm like, 
he's got something to do with that. I, again, I don't, I don't know if he's the problem, but like that, that is, that has been an issue and we need to get that situation fixed. Uh, Chris Lindstrom still the Falcons best offensive lineman, but I think he had much more of an up and down season and his downs were much lower this year than they had been in previous years. And now he's still capable of elite play, especially when he can climb to the second level and make those reach blocks and, and take out linebackers. And, you know, he's a one of one type of athlete at that position, but I do think, you know, some of the power players, Derek Brown and others kind of pushed him around a little too much than I would have preferred for Chris Lindstrom this past year, especially after getting paid. So we'll see what Chris Lindstrom can do, uh, you know, as he comes back motivated uh, to get better after what for him, you know, even though he's still probably like one of the 10 best guards in the league, um, you know. I mean, you can you can make an argument. It was like his worst season, right? Like, you know, even though like he still graded out so well and, and mostly played out well. But I think, you know, maybe it's that's relative to expectations. But I, I think you can make an argument that, you know, outside of his rookie year where he played like five games, you know, this was probably his worst season. But, well, you know, that's a debate for another day. Caleb McGarry, rough start for the year. Right. And you were like, man, why did we pay this guy? You know, but like then I think he was fine. After a certain point, and the, the main issue with Caleb McGarry this past year was the injury to him, right? Now, um, I don't think he was as dominant a run blocker this year as he was a year ago. He's still good, but he wasn't dominant in the ways. And I think, again, that's part of the regression that we're talking about. So, you know, good for Caleb McGarry, in my opinion, to kind of turn it around for himself. But, you know, it did give you a little bit of pause of like, yeah, you know, is this a long-term option? So like, that's going to be a concern. And so when you look at the depth, that was kind of a, a issue late in the season, the turf monster got three of our starters in that jets game. Uh, and that kind of derailed, I think a lot of the, the team's ability to finish this year, uh, you know, I, controversial take, but I kind of think the turf monster had more to do with the Falcons season underachieving, you know, than Arthur Smith's play calling. Cause it was like three games where the Falcons offensive line was just like, not good because they had to rely on the Kyle Hintons and the Storm Nortons and the Ryan Newsles of the world um, rather than their regular guys like Dalman, Lindstrom, McGarry, et cetera. But, um, you know, I thought the backups did an admirable job, right? It wasn't as quite to the level we saw last year when you had that revolving door at left guard and it didn't really matter who was starting. The, the line didn't skip a beat. But I thought Norton did a decent enough job um, in pass protection now basically outside of that Jets game. He wasn't as good at the run stuff in the outside zone stuff, but they did kind of do a little bit more gap stuff, which he was a little bit better at uh, to sort of offset that. I thought Ryan Newsel was solid uh, when he had to replace Dalman for a couple of games. He's basically a poor man's Drew Dalman with less snapping issues, I guess at this point, based off of the small sample size we have. And then like Tyler Vrabel and Kyle Hinton and John LeGlue, when they played, it was just like, yeah, like that, it wasn't great for those guys, but like they weren't outright disasters, I guess you could say, right? We, we've seen worse, right? We've seen a couple of disasters on the Falcons offensive line in the past. So, um, you know, the depth was able to hold its own, but not quite to the level. And I think that's going to lead to, you know, the Falcons looking to improve their depth uh, so that they don't get into that situation where a, a turf monster may sort of derail their season. But we'll talk about that and sort of what the future of the offensive line is. Dwayne Leffert going to be back? Is that going to, you know, whether that happens or not, you know, are we going to see a shift in scheme? Is is this 2024 potentially the last year of this five-man unit that we're expecting them to run it back to? We'll answer those questions and more as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. So, guys, this final segment is brought to us by our sponsor, BetterHelp. And sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest, big or small. Certain things, you know, in life can really start to get to you, and it's important to let it out, especially to someone 
who is unbiased in your life. And while I am very excited to talk about Falcons offensive line play, I'm always excited to talk about trench play. Uh, you know, you may feel a little bit different. You may feel a little downer on J Jake Matthews or Kayla McGarry or the future of this offensive line. And, you know, therapy can be a great way to express yourself. Uh, it can be different for everyone. And, you know, of course, maybe you don't go to a therapist to express your concerns about your favorite sports teams, but it's important that you can find someone to talk to that, you know, will allow you to get things off your chest every once in a while. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, bet, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on and you'll get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. So let's wrap up today's episode talking about the future of the offensive line. And, you know, the first issue really is that we have to figure out is, is Dwayne Leffert going to stick around, right? You know, a new offensive line coach could shake things up. Does he bring in his own guys? Does he bring in a, a new scheme, right? You know, certainly I think a new offensive line coach would certainly impact the Falcons' choices at, in terms of who they might want to go for depth-wise. Um, you know, maybe that guy brings in someone who, you know, he wants he's, – he's, he's down on Matthew Bergeron than I am. Maybe he's more down on McGarry or Dolman, or maybe he thinks Jake Matthews is cooked or something like that uh, and maybe wants to bring in a, a – free agent to, to push one of those guys who knows right it also impacts scheme as i said right falcons have leaned so heavily on outside zone especially these last couple of years with arthur smith you know will a new regime under raheem moore shift that um you know new play caller um you know the rams certainly started out as an outside zone heavy scheme when he first got to la but you know in the recent years they've shifted more to inside runs gap runs that sort of thing and part of that is personnel related due to you know not being able to maintain guys like andrew whitworth and roger saffold and austin Blythe and others and you know their run scheme sort of fitting more with the players they have currently right now and they've kind of had to piece that offensive line together the last couple of years um so that's a part of the conversation and we could see something similar happen with Atlanta, right? We're, we're sitting here hoping for long-term stability on this offensive line with the starting five, but you know, you could see a shakeup in the very near future, right? Jake Matthews and Kayla McGarry are only really locked in through this upcoming season in 2024. You can move on from both of those guys starting the 2025 offseason, And both of those guys at that point will be on the quote unquote wrong side of 30 Dolman's entering contract year. So he could be moved on from, you know, Chris Lindstrom, you can have an out in his contract after 2025 and 2026 and you know bergeron's final year of his rookie contract is 2026 but a new coaching staff has no commitment to bergeron he's not their pick similar to what when arthur smith came in here with matt hennessy you know off uh one year here and they were like you know, we're bringing in drew Dolman. so you could see something similar like that so um it wouldn't shock me to see the falcons investing resources in their offensive line in, in the draft um you know, with the idea that some of these guys may wind up starting games for us, not maybe in 2024, but potentially in 2025. I think center and tackle, right tackle, especially are two positions that stand out. I think the Falcons needed to draft the swing tackle anyway. I wanted them to draft one last year, one of those senior bowl guys. Uh, they did draft the tackle technically in Matthew Bergeron, but, you know, to play guard. Uh, I think Norton is worth bringing back because we know rookie offensive linemen tend to struggle. Um, but, you know, starting to develop, you know, that long-term swing tackle and potentially heir apparent or replacement for Kayla McGarry or Jake Matthews to me makes a ton of sense, especially, you know, in a world where the Falcons draft a left-handed quarterback like Michael Penix, um, you know, you don't want Kayla McGarry being the guy protecting his blind side. So um, that would be something 
we'll sort of see how that goes. So I expect it's likely we'll see the Falcons run it back with their starting five. I just think they have bigger fish to fry, more pressing issues elsewhere on their roster to really go hardcore on, you know, revamping this offensive line this offseason. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we're seeing more changes down the road. So that will a lot of that will depend on basically if these guys you know, after regressing, do they progress? Do they have a rebound season in this offensive line? Goes back to being a strength where we're not sitting here saying, hey, I don't know about these PFF grades a year from now. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on. But it wouldn't shock me if, you know, we get to 2020, week one to 2025, and there's three or four new starters on this offensive line compared to where we are right now. So we'll see about that. Norton, free agent, Hennessy, a free agent. Um, I think both of those guys are worthwhile depth pieces to bring back because of their experience. But, you know, certainly I do think the Falcons need to start developing younger players and hopefully better players in, you know, no offense to Javon Gwynn and Justin Schaefer, but, you know, I think we need better depth. You know, Ryan, the fact that Ryan News is an undrafted free agent, you know, was our top interior offensive lineman tells you that those late round picks didn't quite work out uh, at least immediately the way that we wanted them to. So we'll see how that goes. Guys, um, we'll be back with a lot more Senior Bowl content. Keep you covered for all the things going on with the Falcons coaching changes as well as, you know, speculating on, you know, what's next this offseason, the quarterback talk, all that more. So continue to make Locked on Falcons your first listen, your second listen. Check out Locked on NFL to get all the weekend wrap up for the conference championship. Who's going to the Super Bowl? At this point in time, I have no idea who that is when I'm recording this. So that's all in store for you. It's all part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.